0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook, and this week I am really excited. It is cold and rainy here in London, and I am dreaming about traveling to warmer locations. And something that I've been thinking about for years, actually, from the very first moment I started my blog, was how much I love to travel and how fun it would be to run a retreat, especially I'm talking about for my natural beauty business, someplace in the world. And in this week's episode, that's exactly what we're talking about. I'm speaking with three people from Trip Tribe, which is a company that helps health and wellness professionals actually plan retreats and they take care of all the logistics, which is awesome. So you can just focus on getting the people there and actually teaching what you love. Now, I know a lot of you out there are interested in doing retreats, but there can be a lot of kind of stress and anxiety around it. Like it can be a really daunting thing to plan the entire trip and are you going to get people there and how long should it be and how much do you have to plan each day and is it just going to be exhausting having to be with these people 24-7? And we're going to talk all about that in today's interview. Well, actually, it's not really an interview. It's more like a four-way conversation, but I, I think you'll really enjoy it. So as always, you can get all the links to everything we're going to talk about in this episode in the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com 60. And if you do want to look into working with Trip Tribe and becoming an ambassador for them, they'll give you your contact details um, during the episode, but definitely tell them you heard about them on the Wellpreneur Online podcast. And one last thing to share, especially if you're a new listener out there. Earlier this year, I released a free ebook that's called Wellpreneur Wisdom, where the Wellpreneurs from the 10 most popular interviews in 2014 shared their best business building tips and advice and i have compiled them and organized them all into this great free ebook. So if you haven't read it yet, it's definitely worth a read because it's rather than actually listening to all 10 of those episodes, you can just read the highlights out of them and then they'll have links to go back and listen to the episodes that you're most interested in. So make sure you go and download your copy of my Wellpreneur Wisdom ebook, which is at Wellpreneur online.com slash book. And now let's jump into my conversation with the Trip Tribe. So I'm here with Catherine, Jared and Mark from Trip Tribe. Welcome to the show, guys.
1: Thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: So this is going to be a little bit different than our typical interview because we'll kind of be in this four-way discussion, I guess. But I think that's brilliant because you all have a lot of different input and experiences to share with us about planning successful retreats. So could you start off maybe, Catherine, and tell us a bit about what Trip Tribe is?
1: Sure, absolutely. We're essentially a travel company that helps fitness and yoga and wellness instructors and entrepreneurs build, create, retreats for their students and their followers. We work with a variety of sort of boutique venues around the world. We do all the logistics so that all of those folks who want to lead their students can really focus on their students and on how they want their retreat to go. Awesome.
0: I think that's definitely one of the worries that I've heard from a lot of people in my community is that, you know, it could be awesome to lead a retreat, but oh my gosh, just imagine having to do like the hotel planning and make sure everybody has enough pillows and that you're getting the right food and all the transportation. And so you guys take care of all of
1: that. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yep. (laughs) Awesome.
0: So I'm really glad you guys agreed to come on the podcast because running retreats is something that so many wellpreneurs dream about doing. I mean, it's like the ultimate fantasy, right? To get to go wherever you want in the world and teach and do what you love and get paid to do that. But I think in a way it's also really scary because it's like a workshop, but times a hundred. So people already have some anxiety around, you know, if I plan a workshop, are people going to come? And I think a retreat, It can be even, you know, that magnified because suddenly it's a bigger investment. Yeah. And it's a longer amount of time. So just to start off, what, in your opinion, really makes for a successful retreat?
1: So a successful retreat really is about the instructor and them providing this experience for their students. A lot of times it's everything going smoothly from all of the airport transfers to the resort, the resort being totally in tune with what's going on, reserving all of the spaces so that there's no real disconnect or lag time in between the instructor being able to teach all of their classes, any extra activities that folks want to do while they're on their retreats making it as seamless as possible and as smooth as possible so that people really enjoy the experience. Ultimately, anyone who goes on this retreat, it's, it's their vacation as well. So they're not only looking to get an extended sort of class out of their instructor, but they're also looking to have a really great time. So that's really what makes the most successful retreat. And that's what we've seen at least have the best results from folks who have gone on the retreat.
2: And Amanda, just to piggyback on that, I think uh, one of the things that I've heard from some of our ambassadors to start is, They become a little bit overwhelmed trying to plan every hour, you know, every activity and everything that goes on during the retreat. But we've actually found that, like Catherine had said, a lot of these people are combining, you know, an extended class, but also a vacation. So uh, not to be afraid to schedule in free time and be flexible, with some of the activities and let people do their own exploring while they're there as well. In addition to, you know, a yoga class or a fitness class. So that type of flexibility is something we've heard as being a big factor in successful retreats.
0: Oh, that's really great because it takes the pressure off, too. It's not like you ha- as the leader of the retreat, you don't have to be on 24-7.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually been something that we've heard from ambassadors. One of their sort of concerns is that, you know, they spend an hour a week with all of these folks, but to spend an entire week with them is kind of overwhelming. So to know that it's not necessarily all about them, it's about them, also the entire experience as a whole is really, it, it puts a lot of people at ease sometimes. And that it also, you know, when you're more at ease, you have a better time. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the
0: idea that it's actually people's vacation. And I think much like when you're running a group program or any kind of um, in-person event, a lot of the experience is also interacting with the other participants. So it doesn't have to just be all about the instructor. So that's really good. Yeah. I feel like this weight is off my shoulders already. So thank you. (laughs) Um, So just starting from the very beginning. So if I'm, say I'm a yoga teacher and I'm interested, I always wanted to run a retreat. How do you even go about structuring something like that? Like, would you just call it Amanda's yoga retreat or should it be really specific? Like the retreat just about headstands or like yoga for weight loss or something, or, you know, yoga for new moms. Should it be like really specific or what have you found in terms of, getting signups and having a successful retreat.
3: I think it's best to focus on the, the general themes, general ideas that you want to cover for that four days, five days, six days, whatever it is, and then and then really be flexible in the different activities that you undertake when you're on the retreat so it can just be general it can be about yoga but then as it gets closer you can set a whole itinerary the different types of yoga you're going to do meditation pilates different things that you might want to add into it you know it's i think it's a lot better to do it that way than to say we're going to do this one single thing uh, for the retreat Uh, i think it'll help involve a lot more people and it'll make for a much more enjoyable retreat overall. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it really depends on, on how you're
2: branding yourself as a yoga and fitness instructor already. For example, you mentioned yoga for weight loss. If that's something that you really focus in, on uh, currently, and that's something you've been getting a lot of interest in just locally at, at studios and whatnot, it's probably a good idea to continue that theme into your retreat. That being said, some yoga instructors and fitness ambassadors, whatever it may be, are, you know, just have a broader brand, maybe they just do personal training. Uh, With that in mind, you can offer individual classes or or something like that. I I think it it really depends on how you position yourself prior to the retreat. And that should sort of dictate how you lead the retreat and and what the theme is.
0: Yeah, good point. Because I know at least for in-person workshops... If you have a community of people that already know you, they'll pretty much come to whatever you do. But if you don't have a community and you're just starting out, it can be really good to be specific and just like targeted on one thing like, you know, yoga for new moms, for example, or yoga for weight loss. So that's interesting about a retreat. I would think, yeah, you kind of have to think about, you know, do you already know the people that are going to come on the retreat or are you going to be trying to differentiate yourself and find completely new people to come on the retreat? I think that would figure into how you position it, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So how far in advance should we start planning our retreats?
2: So when we launch a retreat, we have seen at least I always recommend at least five to six months from when the trip is live and all, and all prepared and planned to when the trip actually departs. We find that a lot of people book about four, four and a half months out. That's when a majority of our travelers decide to go on these trips. So with that in mind, we recommend about a month or two to really promote and you know get that trip out there. So when I speak with yoga and fitness ambassadors, I usually say at least five to six months um, ahead of time. With that in mind, we do see a lot of people planning even with more time in
0: between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think depending on where it is, it's I mean, that's quite a big investment if you're going to fly to Thailand, for example. So people might need some time to plan for that. And I would think when you say five to six months before, is that like from the teacher's initial idea or is that from when they would get it up on your site?
2: That's from when they would get it up on our site. And usually if if someone comes to us with an idea for a a retreat, we can usually launch that trip within a week or two. So it doesn't add too much time to that. But once it's up on our site, we
1: usually say five to six months at least.
0: Right. Okay. And then what have you found is most successful for promoting retreats?
1: So mostly our ambassadors and our instructors and our um, wellness professionals already have a sense of a following or they already have like a great sort of student base. The most successful trips that we've had have included the majority of the guests going on the trip are all from that student base or from that following. However, there's in terms of actual nitty gritty promotion, getting the word out via social media channels... A lot of times, some of our instructors have had blogs, they'll get the word out in blogs, actual classes, touching base with all of their students while they're at class. Just getting the buzz going around the fact that they're going to lead this incredible retreat and then getting folks to commit either by themselves or with another friend or, you know, it's it's that whole social aspect, as you had mentioned earlier, of going on this trip, not only to experience this instructor, but also to have a great time with their friends. That's been our most successful way of promotion.
2: Yeah, I think another tactic that I would recommend is it takes a couple of pitches, I guess you could say, to get people to book a trip. So it's not as much as I emailed this person once, they were interested, they'll go book the trip. Uh, Something we practice you know, in our own business as well as something we recommend is it will take a couple of emails, a couple of pieces of communication with your students and followers to convince them and just really stay on, on top of their radar. A lot of ambassadors will say, oh, I have some people interested. I'm just waiting for them to book. But really being proactive and checking in with people every week and, and making sure that you are you know, in the forefront of their mind, I think is, is something that is pretty effective.
0: Yeah, I can see that Like people would hear about it and get really excited. But then getting excited about, say, going to Thailand or something versus actually putting down the money to book the trip and reserve your place is a big, it's a pretty big step. So I can see that you need to like follow up with people and just do the normal marketing stuff you do for anything really, like highlight the benefits and share, like share why you're excited about it. Things like that to try to get people, build up the anticipation, I guess.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of times some of our more successful ambassadors will look for flight deals or look for things outside of the actual retreat that might entice people to go or might make it easier for some folks to be able to afford the flight if it's a far distance, things like that. So just being on top of it and constantly putting it in people's minds, as Jared said, has really, really been successful.
0: So how many people typically go on a retreat?
1: Anywhere from 10 to 20, usually, our sort of minimum to make the retreat successful right now, actually, it's varying as we go forward, but it's anywhere from seven to 10 people. It keeps it intimate, but it also allows for little social groups to to emerge while on the retreat. And then oftentimes when we have two ambassadors, they'll they'll each bring about 10 people to sort of increase that social connection as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you can do a joint retreat.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, how much fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so how do you decide where to go?
2: It's a great question. I think as travelers, that's something we struggle with too. But I would say we usually recommend uh, thinking about who your clientele, you know, who, who your client face is. If they're experienced travelers, maybe they're they're more adventurous. They would go somewhere further like Thailand. If they haven't traveled as much, maybe something closer and easier to get to, like Mexico. We also always recommend people consider lights and you know ease of of travel in determining where they want to hold their retreat. If it's your first retreat with your clients, we recommend something simpler and more affordable like Latin America. And then as you continue, you can hold retreats and, and maybe more adventurous spots. But it's really up to what your preference is, what would get you excited, and then also what your clientele can afford and, and would be um you know in tune with.
0: So obviously, that's for a US audience. And I'm based in London. So we've got people all over the place. So for us, like the cheap destinations would be maybe Greece or Spain or Portugal, and going to Mexico would be a huge splurge, actually. So take into account, which is totally cool, because actually, people are listening all over the world. So I think take into account where your clients are. And I think for a lot of us listening, we -hmm. do online business. So you could have people living all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a combination of where you want to go, plus where your audience is based and, and what you think they'd actually, what they'd, you know, where they'd be up for going. So I'm curious, you guys, since you work for Trip Tribe, do you get to go check out all these awesome resorts? (laughs)
1: we're getting there we actually have another associate of ours who is at one of our venues in mexico right now so she's reporting back on the lovely weather and we're all really jealous Mm. but yeah we're slowly making our way around to, to visit them cool i'd love to hear from each of
0: you just really quickly but like what's your favorite destination for a retreat just personally
1: my
3: favorite place has to be india I also really like Indonesia, although it's probably one of the more popular places. So, if we're going to say somewhere that's a little less popular, I love India. You get a little bit of everything when you go to India. You get amazing culture, amazing food. You can have peace and tranquility if you want, or you can have nonstop action. India has everything, and they have a visa now for for people visiting for yoga and things of that nature. That makes it a really seamless process to attend.
0: Ooh, yeah, awesome.
3: I guess for me, I would have to say
2: Nicaragua. I've I've actually, for other work that I've done, and since I was a teenager, I've I've been going to Nicaragua. So I think I've been there six or seven times. I love the people. I have friends there. And I, I know the country pretty well at this point. So I can't stop going back. The weather is great. The surf is great. So I would definitely recommend some of our places in Nicaragua.
1: I'm a total Europe fan. <laughs> I lived in Greece. We actually have a retreat going to Santorini in the fall that I am close to getting on. <laughs> I love some of our sort of venues in Italy and Greece and Morocco. I mean, even though Morocco is not in Europe, obviously, but that area of the world, the Southern Europe just is so stunning. The food is incredible. I think it allows for a lot of different types of activities that aren't necessarily like surfing and paddleboarding, but more exploring the culture in terms of the food and the markets and things like that. So that would be mm-hmm. my
0: Amazing. Cool. I'm sitting here in London. It's really cold and it's been rainy today. So thinking about travelings.
1: We're in Thank you, everyone. It's very cold. So we hear you. Snow, snow and ice everywhere. Is it?
0: <laughs> Do you recommend to, usually that the instructors have been to the destination before or could you plan a retreat in some place that you hadn't been?
2: I was going to say most of our I would say most of our instructors have not visited their, these countries Beforehand, I, I actually think they see it as an opportunity to see a new country and experience a new country. And that is what actually gets them motivated and excited to promote the trip and make it a successful retreat. So I would say most of the people that we, we have leading retreats have not been to these places prior mm-hmm. to, to um, having it.
1: And just to add to that, because I think there's probably a lot of concern about visiting a new place, especially if it's a totally foreign place like Thailand or even Latin America or, you know, anywhere that you haven't been before in a different country can be a little scary. That's part of what we focus on, not to totally make this about ourselves, but I would recommend for anyone sort of hosting their first Retreat, definitely get in touch with a service that will help you figure out all of the logistics. I think transfers to and from the airport to some places that are maybe a little bit further away is a huge thing that you don't even think about sometimes. Making sure that the resort has a place for you to practice your classes, that you can reserve it. You know, what is the food going to be like? A lot of people sometimes have guests with a lot of different types of dietary preferences from, you know, vegetarian to vegan to whatever, and, you know, even allergies and whatnot you know, making sure that the resort or the location can handle those preferences. There's a lot of little things to think about when you're traveling overseas, but the more you can be on top of all of those little logistics and things that you might not necessarily think about, the smoother the retreat will go and the more confident you'll feel traveling to a new place.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely a benefit of using a service like yours because you'll just take care of all of that. Whereas if you're trying to organize it all yourself, you maybe you would have wanted to go there first and scout it all out. And there's just so many more details to organize. So, yeah, that makes sense. So if we're thinking about, say, I, you know, I'm really excited to do a yoga retreat and I'm going to go to Nicaragua or something. How long do you typically spend, like four days or is it like a week? And then how much do you have to plan each day?
1: So the duration of the trip is entirely up to the instructor and the ambassador. You can do anything from four days to a week to even longer. Generally, we recommend six days, seven nights. And again, it depends on how far you're asking your guests to go. If you're going to India, for example, and you don't live in India, (laughs) it's a long flight and you want the duration of the experience to be as fulfilling as possible for someone who's traveling that far. In terms of the itinerary, again, it goes back to sort of what Jared was saying. It, it entirely depends on the instructor and what you're looking to do. We find that the more successful retreats have more space in the itinerary that allows the guests to plan for other things outside of classes. So instead of having every single moment planned, there's a lot more flexibility and that gives people a lot more freedom to do other things. And that that tends to be successful in terms of providing your guests the best experience possible. Mm -hmm.
0: I could see that people might feel like as an instructor, you might feel a bit weird about that. Like, oh, people are paying all this money to come halfway around the world and see me and I'm giving them all this free time. But actually, I think it comes What you're saying is it comes back to what we started talking about, which is that this is people's vacations and it doesn't have to be like the Amanda show the whole time. (laughs) It's actually about them. It's what they're getting out of the whole trip and the whole experience, not just listening to you talk to them or lead them in a class.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and it's always good to keep in mind that you're going to a destination that probably some people haven't been to before. So part of them going with you is to also see that place and, you know, experience some different types of activities. There's usually any number of things you can do that you can either schedule through the venue or sometimes if you're the ambassador, you can schedule it for them from zip lining to hikes to tours to anything that sort of allows people to take in that country and that culture. And, you know, even if it's just spending three hours on the beach by themselves, like sometimes that's what people want to do. Mm -hmm. So to give them that flexibility along with providing them your service of teaching them a class really gives an impetus for them to want to go with you.
0: So I'd love if you guys could share some common mistakes that people make when planning retreats. And obviously this stuff doesn't happen with your service because you take care of all the logistics. But (laughs) but what have you seen that when people are planning retreats in terms of, like organizing them or positioning them or selling them or just setting them up? What are some common mistakes that people make?
3: Right. So a couple common mistakes that we see a lot is one, trying to do it in too short of a time period. So someone trying to set up a retreat that's only three months out or two months out. As we mentioned earlier, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I want to go. I want to go. But it just doesn't work like that. In reality, people need to request off of work. They need to get a lot of ducks in order to be able to go on vacation often. So giving yourself the time even if it seems enticing to go to some place in the summer that's going to be beautiful really think about it give everyone time to sign up and then another big mistake that we see is assuming that say through a large social network you're going to be able to get a leader's going to be able to get a lot of people who they don't work with on a day-to-day basis or you know week-to-week basis assuming that a follower on a social media website that hasn't had a lot of interaction with you is going to be interested in going on the retreat. Generally, we find that it's really those people that you're working with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that are going to be the ones that attend. So it's really important to build up your own network first, your own clients, your own students, before venturing into it. Because those people end up being a lot more valuable than, say, 10,000 Twitter followers or Instagram followers or what have you. Mm -hmm. And to to piggyback on that a little bit, I think one of the things
2: we do hear from ambassadors a lot is, yeah, I have five people that said they want to go. And then when the trip is launched and they're ready to go, they either find a reason not to or they're a little bit flaky. So I think really pressure, one, making sure you have more than just the minimum, you know, in case someone falls out or someone cancels or someone can't go anymore. You have other people you can go to to help fill this retreat. Also, to pr- really pressure test people before you launch the retreat, if someone says they'd like to go, you can say, "Oh, okay, great. You can can you put down a deposit next week to hold your spot?" And questions like that will really be a, a good indication whether or not someone is is actually serious about traveling, or if it's really just something that they're you know they'd like to do but don't take it seriously.
0: I always like to end with a few actionable steps. So if somebody out there has just been dreaming about planning a retreat. What are a few things that they could do this week, like two or three things to kind of get the ball rolling in that direction?
3: First thing I would do is talk to the students, talk to the clients, talk to your friends and see what they're interested in doing. When they're interested in going, see if there's demand for it first. You know, it doesn't have to be official, but just, you know, mention it. Say this is what I'm thinking about doing. Would you be interested in going? I think that's a great first step. It gets people excited and, you know, it doesn't take too much effort to, you know, chat with people about it. That's a great first step.
2: Yeah, I think as well, just sitting down and really understanding who your clientele are. uh, I think, you know, if you work with moms, if it's the beginning or the end of the school year, that might be a harder time. So, okay, maybe a retreat wouldn't be good in the beginning of September, or if you're working with people who make more money or less money, understanding who your client is and then structuring a retreat according to what they can afford and when they would be able to vacation is, is also um, a pretty helpful exercise.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. And oh, we didn't even talk about money. So I'm curious, is it realistic to think that if you plan a retreat, you can go for free or even better that you'll actually make some money off of it? Is that possible at all?
1: Yeah, 100%. The way in which this is we can only speak for ourselves in terms of this, but um the way in which we work is that we give our our ambassadors the opportunity to add on a fee per person and then that's the money that they keep once their retreat is successful and they've gone on it. If they reach a minimum number of people, then the retreat is free and we'll reimburse you for flights up to $800. So, it's a Pretty appealing package, I think, for a lot of ambassadors. I, I think that we've given almost every every ambassador has met that to this point, and we're pretty flexible. We can work with people in terms of what the benefits are as well. So yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely a possibility, and and absolutely something that we are more than happy to talk about and to help you structure if you're interested in working with us to lead a retreat.
2: Yeah, we have one of our superstar yoga ambassadors is about to launch her third trip in about I'd say a year and a half, two years. She's filled each one of her retreats. She goes on them, you know, because she fills them, we cover her airfare, her whole retreat package. And then she also has that margin that she puts on each booking. So she makes money every time she goes on those trips. So she's, you know, about to go on her third trip later this year. We expect it to fill and that will be a, another way for her to make money. And she's going on these amazing vacations each time. So it sounds too good to be true, but it's it's totally feasible. We yeah. see
0: it every frequently. That's awesome. I mean, that's the dream. I'm sure there's gazillions, everyone listening out there right now, I think the gears are turning in their heads and thinking, "Hmm, where could I go? Because I know that's, you know, when starting a wellness business, that's what you think, like, oh, I can go do these amazing retreats and, and to actually get to go for free or maybe make some money off. It's just, it's the dream. Cool. So tell us a little bit then as we're wrapping up, if people are interested in learning more about your retreats and becoming an ambassador, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you?
2: We have uh, an application process. It's very simple, but I think probably the easiest for your listeners, the easiest way to get in contact with us is just shoot us an email. We're always happy to chat about the program and and see if it's a good fit. My name is Jared, J-A-R-E-D, Jared at Triptribe.com. They can drop me a note or anyone else on the team. Mark is M-A-R-C at Triptribe.com. Catherine, Catherine at Triptribe is K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. So yeah, I mean, they can just shoot us an email and we can explain to them how to uh, apply for it.
0: Awesome. And give us your website again, just triptribe.com, right?
2: Sure. triptribe.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. well, are you totally inspired to run your own retreat now? I know I am. So you can get all the links to everything we talked about in the show in the show notes at wellpreneuronlinecom 60. And if you do want to get in touch with Trip Tribe, just remember to let them know you heard about them on the Wellpreneur Online podcast. Now, since my last episode, the other week, where I had a listener question, I've been getting more questions in, which is just awesome. So if you have a question about building your wellness business online, please hop over to wellpruneronline.com slash 60. And on the right hand side, you'll see the black ask me a question link. And if you click that, then you can just record your question and I may use it in a future episode. So you'll be able to hear your voice on my podcast, which is just awesome excellent. Anyway, sending you tons of luck and good vibes for your week with your wellness business. And I will see you back here next week with the next episode.